Welcome to the Drive Able Podcast, where each episode you get to listen to two of Australia's leading professionals in the area of driving and community mobility for people with disabilities. In each episode, they interview drivers, carers, and industry experts and share the insider's guide to driving with a disability. Here are your hosts, Brad and Ollie. Welcome to the Drivable Podcast. I'm Elliot Barian here and over there is Brad Williams. And today we're talking about vehicle modifications for an older car with Adventure Alini Dean, who's just had a really old car funded for mods and is learning to drive with hand controls and getting out and about there. So I'm really excited to get into this interview. Brad, are you ready? Oh yeah, no, she, she's a firecracker. This one, it should be a really good interview. Yeah, let's get into it. Hi everyone, I'm really excited to get into today's interview, but before we get started, just want to do a quick shout out to our sponsors that make this show possible, Mobility Engineering and Williams OT. This show takes a lot of time and money to put together and we just want to thank the sponsors for helping us bring this podcast to you today. We've got Leonie with us and uh, you can see her on the video there if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, Lenny, what we want you to do is to kickstart the interview by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your disability and, and what it actually is. Cool. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Lenny, and my disability is called FND or Functional Neurological Disorder. Um, there's kind of a lot of judgment and stuff around about it, but it's basically very similar to MS. It is a neurological sort of autoimmune type. And it's kind of different for everyone that has it. For me, it's kind of taken away the use of my legs. And this hand could be part of it as well. It could have been the earliest part. Um, there's not many treatment options for it because it's so misunderstood, but they are learning more as time goes on. Yeah, so your um, the use of your legs then, you're yeah. in a wheelchair now? I am, full-time wheelchair user. Is it, a, is it like a progressive thing? Is it something that um, happens like as a one-off and then stops or, or, or how does it um, Some people kind of, they, they don't end up in the wheelchair, but then they have seizures. Whereas those with the physical things, it's progressive. Like it's been a constant kind of progression for me where I used to be ambulatory and a part-time wheelchair user. And I used to be able to kind of stand up and hobble along the side of my car, but I can't do that anymore. Yeah, okay. And, um, and how, when did it start happening? Um, I started having problems about 13 years ago I think and then I've been in a wheelchair now for oh, I think it's like five or six years and I remember when my legs kind of they used to come and go and it could be a day it could be a week it could be three weeks and then they'd kind of come back in between because I used to run a lot and exercise a lot um, and I started getting a lot of fatigue that comes around and I've, I've got chronic regional pain syndrome as well as this so I have a lot of pain, even though I'm numb in most of the, like my legs and things. Um, but I was actually, the day they kind of died completely, I was just trying to hobble in to get cat litter from Marion Shopping Centre. And they just kind of went on me and never really came back. They just forgot the job is what I think. And I had to get people to come and help me. 
So you so, try to communicate to your legs, but they just don't do what yeah, they need to do. There's like nothing, nothing there. Like I keep breaking my toes because I go around too fast in my wheelchair without shoes on and can't feel a thing. Mm. So I have two really cool toes now. <laughs> <laughs> Righto. Um, were you were you driving? Were you driving before all this happened? I was. And then I was still driving as much as I could during because I'm not, I wasn't like completely paralyzed, um, but I had a lot of trouble driving and I've used to like manual cars, couldn't drive manual cars legally for a long time. So I was always kind of trying to drive because I've always been a driver. Were you, you got in school or anything like that or studying or um because I mean you, you do look relatively young so <laughs> I'm I'm older than you think <laughs> um I'm actually 36 okay no worries so I was I did year 12 and then I actually am a spray painter by trade and that's what I was doing at the time like vehicle spray painter yeah yeah oh cool yeah. I'm fully qualified broke myself <laughs> great <laughs> so you, you've got a you got a big interest in cars um i I, yeah. I know you outside of this uh interview right now i know that you've got a massive interest in cars um and yeah. you're, you're a bit of a collector of cars yes and people also call me a bit of a grease monkey <laughs> yeah. so you so are I've, always I've, working on cars and things yeah yeah i've got three cars so, yep. and I can't wait to drive the other two again when I get them on the road. So, um, so tell us about the cars and I guess um, how they're set up. Well, I've got the Land Rover, which is a 21-year-old car now. And yep. um, that's the one that's got all the hand controls in and that we kind of really fought NDIS to get all that approved. Yep. And then I also have a 67 Chevy Impala. And a 73 HQ Holden panel van, which I've had for like 20 years. I used to drive it to school. Oh, wow. <laughs> that one, they're all, they're not on the road yet, those two. So they haven't got any hand controls in them yet. Are they, do they run? The Impala does. I got that running just the other month again. And then the panel van, I pulled an engine out and put an engine back in it. So it's not really at the running stage just yet. Oh, yeah. So, and you're doing all that work yourself? Yeah, with whoever I can scramble up to help. Yeah. Because well, it's a bit harder. I still do it in a wheelchair, but it's a little bit harder. So the aim is to get them both with hand controls as well, then, eh? Yes. Yeah, the, Impala, the Impala will be the next one. And then the panel van eventually, hopefully. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about the um, Land Rover a little bit, because you said it was 21 years old. Um, it is. It's got hand controls, so... That already sparks a few, um, I guess, uh, questions for me. But um, uh, before we get into that, um, yeah, let's talk about, go a little bit deeper on, was that NDIS um, or, or even what hand controls is fitted in there first? Um, it was NDIS yeah. and it has the, I think it's called the Fadial E Radial. Yep. Okay. It was Taliana. I never know how to pronounce it, but. Yeah, no, you've done a really good job. Yep. That's, cool. that's perfect. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So um, that's what it has, which is, I really like it, especially because yeah. I've seen them put it in a Ferrari too. So I think it's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, pull up yeah, next to it. Yeah, stuff is always uh, good looking, you know, so. Yeah, mine doesn't go as fast as a Ferrari, but it thinks it does. Yeah. 
So the e-radial for people that are listening in and going, geez, what's that? And maybe I'll put it in my Ferrari or Land Rover. Um, the e-radial is a rocker style um, accelerator. So if you think of your door going into your bathroom or bedroom or anything else like that, it's like opening a door handle. So with the lever type door handle, it's like twisting that lever style door handle and that's your acceleration. And then you like pushing the door open. That's actually the braking mechanism. So hopefully people can imagine what that's like in their head. That's the type of hand control that we're talking about. But uh, Lena, we had to try and figure out what kind of hand control it was going to be because that uh, hand that you showed us earlier is a little bit partially functional, isn't it? So Yeah, it doesn't have any grip. I kind of can move it a little bit, but not really. I've just learned what to do with it. It's a good paperweight. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. So, and um, so also just to confirm, that's also the hand control, which is commonly referred to as push pat type of thing. But so, electronic, electronic, but electronic. Yeah. So yeah. electronic because of that hand, making it nice and light and nice and easy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No worries. Yeah. It's okay. way more responsive now. I like it. So did you, um, did you already have the Land Rover? Yes. I've had the Land Rover for nine years. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, so did you, how did the process go? Did you start um, talking to like an OT, NDIS? Um, when did you start sort of the process and where did you go to um, figure out I, the funding and the hand control? I started talking to, because I have Brad and I have another, like a general OT. And I started talking to her because at first we thought I might need like a left, for accelerator but then very quickly we learned that oh no this is a bit worse I need a like hand controls so then I think I took myself and made an appointment to see Brad because I've been following them those guys for a long time in case I ever needed them and just because they do cool stuff so I started with him and then I think we did an assessment and things and then my other OT started writing up the report as well to send off to NDIS yeah okay the the thing that we need to why we invited you on lenny and what we want to talk about is that the ndis guidelines although they're just this week we've just got you on but just this week they've released a new version of the vehicle modifications guidelines and we'll bring you more details about that as we unpack that in the next couple of weeks um but when you went through the ndis guidelines were uh, that funding is possible through the NDIS if your car is less than five years of age and travelled less than 80,000 kilometres. So your car's 21 years old. I'm assuming yep. it's done more than 80,000 kilometres. Um, this weekend, it will cross 425,000 kilometres. Yeah. Wow. So it didn't quite meet the NDIS guidelines for funding oh. application. Do you want to help talk through how how we went through the process about trying to get funding for your car because well what one why didn't you buy a new car why didn't you why didn't you want to buy a car that met the ndis guidelines because i actually am very attached to my land rover and i also need it to just access my home because um, I would say I like full driving, I tow things. I can't afford to replace it either if 
even if I wanted to, but even if I could, I would be keeping that Land Rovers, like my desk does part. So yeah. it was really important to me that I got it approved to keep going through life with me. Yeah, well, so a lot of people understand the NDIS guidelines as a bit of set in concrete, but there is a proviso in the old guidelines before they reduce, released new ones this week. And I think it's carried over into the new one that if your car is more than five years of age, there's a process that you have to go through. Do you, do you recall that process that you had to go through? It took a long time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think we were battling for, I think it was about 13 or 14 months in the end. Um, but basically, hey. What kind of stuff did you have to do? Um, I had to write them letters myself stating that I'll be keeping the car for the next eight years. Any mechanical issues, it will be, you know, sorted and kept on the road. Um, then we had to have the reports from, I had them from Brad and my other OT stating, you know, the how it's finan financially necessary and um, I can't think of their terms, how that you have to have it is like necessary and reasonable and necessary yeah that's the one um so then i also had to have the vehicle inspected by mechanics several times for roadworthiness which obviously every time it kind of passed with flying colors anyway it might be old but it's you know just it's going to run forever <laughs> yep. um and then they initially did decline based on market value i think it was in the end because we had a lot of good information and then brad sorted them out with another another report saying um hang up <laughs> hey up what are you doing so because yeah. it's the that market value thing is like my wheelchair doesn't have any market value so we just kind of just kept fighting until they approved it yeah okay That's yeah good. so just to unpack that a, a little bit and we'll do that again with our top three takeaways at the end so hang around for that bit as well but in regards to that market value is that they bought in the value of the car into yeah. the argument. And the, we had to argue that we, it's going to be Lini's cost to keep the car running for the next eight years. So the NDIS put out the proviso of a car less than five years and less than 80,000 Ks. So it's going to last eight to 10 years when you put it into the car. And NDIS won't pay for another set of hand controls in that eight to 10 year period, unless there's a real functional change and that needs to yeah. be reassessed again. Mm -hmm. And, and NDIS need to then reapprove more modifications. Yeah. But um, from our understanding, it's that they want to pay for hand controls because they're so expensive um, for a set period of time and not just have to keep on putting it in because you want to upgrade your car every two years. What we had to do with Lenny is prove to them uh, that you were going to take on all of that risk, uh, that you were going to take on that risk of if the car breaks down in the next eight years to 10 years, or you needed to put hand controls into a new vehicle, that you were going to take on that responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and we did that. How do you remember? the types of things that you, you know, how many pages you wrote in regards to all of that? I think I lost count. There was lots of pages. And then I had the phone calls with them as well, talking to different people. And I remember asking them why they were doing what they were doing and they couldn't answer. 
So I just thought, all right, well, I'm not going to give up. So yeah, we just kept going. Had, did you have the, um, so you'd already have done your trials and assessments and all that? Um, yeah, so, yeah. So we yeah. knew what I needed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we knew how much it was going to be. They already had all the quotes and things. Okay. And they had all the information about even that, because they also wanted to know that if anything happens to that car, like it got written off or anything, that it would, those hand controls would come out and go into a, it could be removed and replaced in another vehicle. So they wouldn't actually have to replace the hand controls themselves. They could just move them into another car. That's an interesting so, one. <laughs> yeah. It's, so it went through many, many hoops to get that done. And in that time, there was a bit of a functional change uh, as yeah. well, wasn't there? So yeah, yeah, was, yeah. We, we had to think about also your wheelchair and how we're going to get wheelchairs in and out of out of the car because like you said early on in the interview you used to in your words hobble around the car a little bit yeah i did but then uh then became a little bit more reliant on that or 100 reliant on the wheelchair as well so do you want to talk about some of the cool things that are in the back of your car oh yes i have the coolest land rover ever basically um i open the tailgate with a button it yeah. just automatic opens and closes, so I don't have to touch it anymore. And obviously, it's quite high up to me when I'm sat in a wheelchair because my car's really tall. Um, and then inside, we have Bruno, the big heavy-duty lifter that lifts my off-road power chair into the back. Oh, yeah. The, the big arm, like the VSL 6900 or whatever it is, I think. Is that the one it is? Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's the one that lifts, that lifts <laughs> your big four-wheel drive wheelchair into the back. Uh, that's the Magic Mobility um, four-wheel Extreme off-road XA. chair. Yeah. yeah. Do you like that chair? I, um, it's like the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah, I'm yeah. really yeah. trying to Magic get it bogged and I can't. Yeah, Magic Mobility is really cool. They yeah. um, like their stuff. So, um, so yeah, that's cool. And um and so um we were just talking beforehand before we started recording about um what you like to do and going out um bush and so on. So um do you what kind of stuff do you do? Do you kind of go camping or like just four-wheel driving? And yeah, tell us a bit more about that. Um I really enjoy camping, um, which is I'm probably one of the only we don't really expect to see me out in the sand dunes or anywhere in my wheelchair, but I will go there. Yeah. Um I recently went to Love Day for Explore Park for the first time, which is a month after having my license back with the hand controls. Just, um, just for people that aren't aware, Love Day for, for Park is up in the Riverland in South Australia, and it is a significant four-wheel drive park. Isn't it, it is. It's quite extreme. Yeah. Um, I've For those that if they follow me on social media we'll see some photos of my car on like three maybe two wheels at times (laughs) doing it all with hand controls and just showing people that disabilities don't need to stop you from doing the things you really love so and I really like camping I can pitch my tent myself it's obviously a little bit quicker if people help me which thankfully they do um but it's just was amazing to just be out there doing my thing again because it's been a very long time and then even just accessing home, we have a creek here that will flood. Deepest I've gone through is the bonnet on my disco. Yeah. So now I'm just kind of hoping it floods again soon because I can get through and no one else can. 
Yeah, disco. Yeah. By the way, is the uh, nickname the for the car. By <laughs> just so, so people tuning in, going, what the hell is disco? Disco <laughs> is the Land Rover's uh, nickname. Yeah, it just because the Discovery it just gets called disco for short. I kind of call it the Millennium Falcon too, because you know it's the fastest disco in the galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, but as you can see, there's a, there's a massive passion for this car and. Yeah. It's got a whole lot of meaning for you, doesn't it? This car, and I've lived a lot of life with that car, and that's what we—that's what we needed to get across to the NDIS. That's 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 that passion, that drive, that that inner meaning of why this is so important is what we had to get across to the NDIS, who may not understand the importance of that car when they're reading it on paper. I mean, uh, one thing I'll say, which is I um. It, to really support that is philosophically, you know, NDIS is about people being included within the community. And once people are included in the way that they want to be included, then that's how they thrive and that's how the community thrives, you know? So um, yeah, yeah that, that's just how it works. What's it done to you? What's it done to your mental health? Uh, it's gone control? just up so much and I'm still getting my head around when I think I want to go somewhere. And then I think, Oh, I can actually take myself now yeah so yeah it's just amazing and then being able to take my power chair places as well which has just opened up a lot more avenues to where I can actually go do you have any big uh, big plans for um where you're gonna go any, um I'm gonna do the Flinders Ranges this year sometime oh. and road trip also to Port Lincoln and then I hope to do the Kimberleys in the future as well I just my goal is to hit a million k's with that car yeah, okay. And and you said it was 425,000. So, um, yeah, so, about to be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and have you had that since new? No, I've had it for nine years and I'm the third owner. It's actually got a bit of a wholesome story with the first owner who bought it when he was retiring and wanted to go caravanning with it. But sadly, he passed away before he got to do his big trip. And then the person I bought it off had it for, I think, about seven years. And then I bought it off him nine years ago. Yeah, okay. So it's living the legacy that it intended. It to. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's really awesome. Most loved now. It was loved before by everyone, I think. Um, you do some towing in it as well, don't you? That's I do. Why... I tow my horse. Yep. I have so... a horse as well. Yeah, I ride. I have a horse, and he's eighteen hand horse, so he ain't a small boy. So how do you how do you um get onto the horse? Um, we use my power chair. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. We put the seat up as high as it will go and then my horse parks in front of it. And then I have a bar on my saddle that I actually pull myself up. So then I'm kind of wedged between the power chair and my horse. Like he won't move. He will be rock solid. And then my support worker will put one of my legs in the stirrup. And then as I kind of try and pull up, she'll push up and then she'll go on the other side and throw my other leg over. So and then to get off, it's kind of the same. We just pull me down and the power chair kind of catches me. Do you, it's not do you easy. Use, um, do you, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't sound easy at all. Do you use a support worker um, like for the whole period? Like do they help you at home and, and then come or do they? Um, I only really use it when I do my riding weeks because um, that is one thing that happened when they funded the car is they took 60% of my support work funding. 
even though I'm still the same amount disabled. And if I can drive myself, I still need the same help when I get there. So I'm just, while I'm sorting that out, we are, I just save my support work for when I'm writing. Okay. So no, that's interesting. Well, I, it's already been 20 minutes. Time yeah. has absolutely flown by uh, and it happens to us every time. Um, before we wind up, um, we always ask our guests a final question uh, and we get some really interesting answers to this question uh, over the time. Uh, but just before we ask that final question, uh, we just, again, quickly want to acknowledge the sponsors that make this show possible. Uh, Williams OT and Mobility Engineering that um, fund this podcast. So let's get into that final question. Oh, look, as we've learned over the podcast, cars are more than just getting from A to B. And it's obvious that that is such a big thing for yourself. What is a memory that you have in your car that means something that is so special to you? What, what's something that you've done in your car that is something that we can all, you know, had taken interest in? God, I have so many because I've had that car for a long time. But one of my most treasured memories actually is I was full driving local and had to climb this crazy, crazy hill. It was terrifying. I thought I might actually fall down the hill. But at the top, I had a couple of eagles soaring along at eye level with me. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's yeah, that was pretty cool. awesome. And then my next one is obviously going on that little road trip and having my car on three wheels for most of it was one of my highlights. The other stuff I've done isn't G-rated, so. <laughs> okay, all right. We'll wrap it up <laughs> before we go too far into it. Uh, we'll do an after 10 o'clock podcast one day and uh, we'll find out what else <laughs> you use your car for. But um, a massive thank you to you, Lenny. Uh, it's been a, My pleasure. It's been, been a wonderful uh, interview and it just shows um, what passion there is behind getting hand controls and getting things into a car and and why it's important that a new car isn't always the answer. Yeah. No. We should have the choice to keep the ones we love or like. And if we yeah, can't yeah. afford them. I wonder if NDIS will come on board for the Impala. I'm not too sure, but we'll we'll fight that battle as it as it comes up. They will. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a hobby that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, if our listeners wanted to find out more about you or ask any questions, is there a way that they can get in contact or follow you? Um, just go to my, I've got my Facebook page, which is Leany Tagan, or I have an Instagram page called Tenacious Wheelchair Warrior because the car and I, we never give up. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> what we'll do is we'll put a link to that in our yeah. uh, Facebook page. So make sure that if you're listening to this, you go and search Drive Able Podcast on Facebook or you can search it on YouTube. It's there as well. You can share, um, search for it on whatever your favorite platform is. Hopefully it's there. Um, and we'll share the links to Lenny's page on there. Um, but all we want to do now is say a massive thank you to you for coming on and sharing your story. Thanks it's my much. pleasure. I just want to help more people get their cars sorted so they can keep driving. 
it's yeah, amazing. It's so amazing. everybody stick around like we do every week. We're going to break down our top three takeaways from Leonie's story. Um, so Leonie, as we say goodbye to you, everyone else, stick around and we'll see you after this little short break. All right, everybody, welcome back. In this section, we bring you our expert analysis and top three takeaways from the interview. This is where we provide our more than 30 years of joint experience in the industry, helping people with disabilities to drive and get out in the community in a safe and meaningful way. Again, thanks, Leany, for the uh, interview. That was a great, great um, story. And um, I guess, yeah, we had some top three takeaways as usual. And what's number one, Brad? Well, that story, that, that is the number one takeaway from this is sharing her story to be able to prove that fair and reasonable cost to the NDIS and uh, the process that she had to go through to do that. And um, we needed to, to I say we, because I was their OT and involved in that. And this, this is not a testimonial. It's not anything else like that. This is sharing a story. Um, we're not allowed to do testimonials or anything else like that with APRA. So we have to be very careful in regards to that bit. This is just sharing the process that she had to go through so other people can learn from that. When she has such a massive passion for her car, for what it can offer her, for her meaningful life, we had to get that across to the NDIS and prove that to the NDIS. And it really was focusing on her story. Yeah, and, and, and um, that's something that we've seen as a common theme with a lot of the guests here, all the way from, you know, the, some of the first guests from D all the way along. People, the, the people that are um, focusing a little bit on telling, I guess, how they can, going, I guess, starting first off philosophically with NDIS about people being included into the community in a fair and reasonable manner. And so this is how you integrate into the community. And you can, if you can, show that story um, on how you impact or, you know, how it impacts you or how you integrate within the community. That's really what they're looking for. And that's what gets it across. Um, and in this situation, it did take a long time and, and, you know, things do take time and it was a bit more of a unique situation, but still um, that's what really got her over the line. Just as she said, writing the pages of the, the, the information and the story and sentiment and all of that kind of stuff. Um, otherwise it just wouldn't have really happened. I don't think. Yeah, and the NDIS was set up to offer people what they need to make their life meaningful and more functional. And in this case, it really was the, the meaning side of it all. She could have been functional in another car, but it wouldn't have offered her the adventure that she loves to live uh, out and about in the bush with her horses, horse shows, archery, camping, four-wheel driving, yeah. wanting to go to the Kimberleys later on yeah it's yeah. it's it's massive for her to be able to do all of those things and and that's what had to be portrayed to the NDIS for the funding side of it all yeah exactly which I guess uh, takes us to the next um learning which is uh be aware of how that will affect your funding package because NDIS will come back um with other aspects to that story so if you are telling them that you know, I am more independent or I am more this and I am more that, then they might turn back like they did with Lini and say, well, if those are the cases, then we will reduce your money in these sides of things. And you need to, I guess, look at that um, holistically. 
yeah, it's not always just here's the money. It's a negotiation. So um, being paying for such modifications um, and taking on a risk of that vehicle, then in this case, they've reduced her support hours. She makes a very good point that, you know, she still needs support around the disability in her home. We haven't been able to, to fix all of those things, but she is able to, to get into a local township, which is a 20 minute drive, 15, 20 minute drive from her place. So, you know, she really is isolated uh, where she is. She's, she's in a four wheel drive track to actually get into her place and across a creek that's floods and all that type of um, thing as well. So she, she was isolated and I was having support carers coming in. Now she has had to negotiate a reduction in support hours and, and she uses those now to help her with her, with her horse riding only. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, look, ultimately, like anything, as you said, it's not about here's the money. Um, the government is a business um, and they do need, they are always going to be looking at how can they save money. Um, and they're always going to be refining this, this beast. Um, that's the NDIS. It's a great scheme. And we have, and we look forward to actually having more discussions about how it does return funding to the community, but they also need to really test that for themselves. So, so you just got to be aware of that. And um and manage those things as they move forward. Yeah, yeah. Well, that takes us into uh, our final top three takeaway. And that one there is to not give up. You know, she's been through a massive process here. She was waiting, what did she say? 13 to 14 months worth of fighting to, to try and get it um, approved into her yeah. old, into her old car. And, and, and her car was like not in line with the guidelines. So initially yeah. she could have just given up straight away with just by reading those guidelines, you know, so. But it was reading the small print of the guidelines and, and those extra, the extra words that are in there, if and but, and those type of things uh, were really important. But I just, what has it given her, you know, that, that fight, that battle, don't give up because it's offered her, the things that she wants to do. And, and that's a really good place to, to, it's a really good feel good story at the end of it. Yeah. And, and on that note, um, in terms of like what you mentioned with the ifs and the buts and so on, again, another common theme we've had around um, this interview is following that process and really forensically understanding what NDIS is asking you, you know, double checking those ifs and buts and thes and all of those little words, cause it actually does string together again that important story factor so so um so yeah don't give up just keep reading and following process and you get there at the end and that's the common theme that we get all the way along um in this uh, in these interviews yeah and, and we'll just point back to another interview that we did if you are struggling we did an interview with natalie wade who's uh, a lawyer in this area uh about uh equality and uh yeah check out that interview that's a that's a that's an inspiring interview as well. I mean, they're all they're all great interviews, but for that one there, um, if you are struggling uh, to get things over the line, or or uh, you think your story is being misunderstood by NDIS um, or any other area, make sure you check out that interview with Natalie Wade. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Um, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, uh, Mobility Engineering and Williams OT for bringing this uh, interview with Leonie to you today. Um, Williams OT, 
Driver Assessments and Rehab offers all the pieces of the puzzle to assist people with disabilities reach their driving and community goals. And Mobility Engineering is a team of passionate and dedicated people focused to bringing Australia's, Australians the largest range of suitable transport solutions for all walks of life. So make sure you go and check them out and say uh, uh, thanks very much for helping us put this podcast together. Um, and as we say in every episode, the advice provided in this podcast is general in nature. So if you have any queries about what can work for you and what you can do in a vehicle, then get in contact with your local OT or mobility dealer and set yourself up with a trial because trials really do put you in the driver's seat. Until next time, Ali, thanks very much. Thanks very much, Brad. And a shout out to Leonie again. It was a a good interview, that one, and uh, I hope it inspires a lot of other people. Thanks for listening to the Drive Able podcast with Brad Williams and Aliak Barry. If you like what you've heard, make sure you like, rate, and subscribe. It really does make a massive difference. If you or anyone you know would like to share a story about driving with a disability, or you would like to get in contact, find the show notes, or find the resources mentioned in this episode, you can find us on Facebook. Just search at Drive Able Podcast for more information.